Welcome to Merit Stabling Path. Hey Digi, how's it going, man? Hey Mehrek, what's up? What's up? Just you know, hanging on, uh, you know, going through the motions. How are you? Yeah, not bad, man. Just yeah, Sunday. I start. I start uh, a new gig tomorrow, so looking forward to that. The, oh, nice. Yeah, I just taken a break actually from working for a bit, and now I'm getting back into it. Cool, man. So, what are you doing these days? Oh, but actually, I was doing doing. Uh, so I had my family over, so just busy taking them around and like, yeah, I've been training jujitsu, oh. so I had that going on for me, and been doing some few competitions and that. So just been training. Nice man, nice. So I mean, uh, you know, you know, Tiba, the Tibalism. He's no. uh, he's an NFT guy, a photographer, and a really good artist. Mm-hmm. He used to teach jujitsu for about I think ten years in New York. Oh, he's sick. Uh, one of our uh, members of the community, and he's a fantastic guy himself. Oh, sick! Yeah, I should speak to him as well. Cool. What's his name? Tiba. Oh, definitely. Tiba. T i b a. Tibalism T-A. or Tiba. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'll yeah I'll get it uh, off you later on in the chat. Or oh, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. What been uh What's been up with you, man? Ah, oh, you know, man, just just uh, going through the motions, understanding the market movements. Mm. and uh, trying to work in the background working on a lot of things as such so yep. uh, helping uh, colors of india which is a very strong artist space movement mm. you know like we are artists first and we work on uh, enabling the south asian artist community by educating or helping them fill the gaps in the knowledge or you know we do a lot of mentoring sessions with everybody and basically a lot of grassroots stuff and we are just building it up right now so we're going to be one of the, one of uh, the country's first uh, uh, i'm not saying the country's first dao but country's first uh, dao or company of uh, one of the first uh, groups that will be registered with the government of india mm. and will function as a dao so we are basically looking to spearhead the whole the whole uh, web3 enablement you know yes. in the traditional sphere of ecosystems so we are really trying to work very hard and something that's new which is being done for the first time takes takes some time to set up so yeah we are going through the motions with that you know it's just uh, something that we takes a lot of teamwork yes 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 yeah i know i've been speaking to quite a few people from colors of india and yeah i, I know but yeah that's yeah, something that's right. good like that's a good initiative that you guys have taken up and moving forward with it as well yeah angad Definitely. was telling me as well like yeah to connect with you on like outside of like a podcast yeah, to just talk about like tokenization and stuff as well oh definitely for yeah. sure man yeah he also told me that you're interested in that and that was like oh very cool like you know it's yeah. nice yeah so that's good that's what i was going to get to next like what like initially got you into crypto and like when was that or was it it's NFTs? a funny story i got into crypto in 2013 december the very day that dogecoin launched I was there when Billy Marcus, uh, you know, launched it officially. I had the zero point zero one wallet, the Dogecoin right. Core wallet, and I was mining it on my uh, really horrible laptop at that time itself. 
So I was there way before a lot of the people who got in the 2017 ICO boom. Yes. Uh, basically. Mm. And there I learned a lot of uh, things and ideas. And uh, funny enough, uh, IRC. Do you remember IRC, Internet Relay Chat? Yep. So IRC was still around and still in vogue in some of these communities. So we were using a lot of IRC and uh, Reddit very heavily mm. to do tons of P2P transactions. So I did, I did, I even did a lot of trading back then. So Dogecoin trading okay. and uh, you know, just, just basically sort of cutting my teeth in the world of cryptography. And funny enough, uh, in that time as well, we also sort of, because it was peer to peer, we developed a service based economy inside the Dogecoin Reddit. Mm. What we used to do was uh, sell photographs, sell proofreading services, you know, like uh, design a website for someone for Dogecoin. Right, and we right, were doing right. all of this in 2014. So I've, I've, I'd already sold some photographs, uh, you know, written some poetry for, for a few doge. Just like as, as a fun uh, new way to yeah. exchange things, you know? Sick, yeah. And then when uh, NFTs became popular, mm. uh, I was already looking very deeply into them in 2020, December or November. And I took my time. I, I was just waiting for a few things to happen. And then March of 2021 was when I took the plunge. So it's already been over a year that mm. I've been in this space. So, I mean, uh, I, and I, I couldn't have been happier to have gotten in because, and this is a funny part that I, I also blame myself for, is uh, I was there when the Ethereum white paper was launched <laughs> in 2014, when, uh, you know, Vitalik had just outlined this, what the possibility of smart contracts is, what it can do. I understood that this is amazing, but it was just, you know, he was calling on builders to build. And I didn't right. have those skills, right. especially not, not back then. And I was extremely excited, but then, you know, things changed. My focus shifted from cryptocurrency to developing some other products in real life, working on major projects. So I started doing that and mm. uh, the focus sort of waned. But now with NFTs, it has just come back and with a renewed focus and a sense of purpose. Nice, nice, yeah. And and like, what was it that you used to do like outside of crypto? If you don't mind talking about that. Oh, for one, one, sure. I used to actually build ships and oil rigs. So I have uh, executed, uh, you know, or basically handled nearly four billion dollars worth of projects, uh, really huge uh, projects, a lot of ships uh, that I've uh, built in India, um, and also got or taken delivery from South Korea and some in China and mm. oil rigs I used to make in India ourselves for a lot of our American clients. So I've done these huge, massive projects with insane teams, very tight budgets and executing these sort of uh, big ticket items, so to say. Mm, understood. Yeah. So that yeah, would have... I also had a small software consultancy business of my own, but that is a different story altogether. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, I mean, this was a major thing that I did. Yeah, that would have been like an interesting, like lots of dynamics, lots of different people to coordinate with. That would have been challenging. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Very, very challenging. And the thing is the sheer scale of it, right? Like mm. these are, we're talking about huge structures, like incredibly yep. huge structures, more than one or, you know, 150, 160 meters long mm -hmm. for, for the ships. On like uh, some more, our average ships are 180, 190 meters long. Right. And the longer ones that I basically got delivered from South Korea were 300 meters long or more mm. than 300 meters. So these are like floating islands, so to say, yes. huge, huge uh, ships.
and the oil rigs, uh, uh, they are not exactly as huge, but they are extremely bulky and completely packed. Like every yes. square foot or every square meter is packed with mm-hmm. uh, really high tech machinery, you know? Mm-hmm. So I really enjoyed that to be very honest. And that, that aspect was a very, uh, something that I look upon very fondly because the execution and completion of those projects gives you a very tangible sense of achievement in reality, you know? You can never replace that, so to say. Right, right, right. And like working in between all of this, like, uh, like what initially got you into art, and then like, was there a break in between, and then you got into art again with NFTs coming around? Uh, that's that's a fantastic point. Like I've been writing poetry for over twenty years, mm. and uh, I have self-published two books. So I was always very much involved with artistic expression via the use of poetry, but also visually. Like I used to take photographs all the time. So mm. since I started uh, hiking and going on these trips by myself and with a few close friends in 2010 or something, I started doing a lot of work back then. And I quickly learned about the basics and principles of composition and how mm. to, I mean, I didn't invest a lot of money in the in the products or technology, so to say, but I did everything else, uh, you know, which is required for the skill or the composition, so to say. Yes. I tried to learn as much as I could. And then uh, uh, I did a huge project with a friend of mine. Uh, he He's a prolific painter. And at that time, I, mean, I was already dabbling with some painting, but then I started painting myself, like full on expressing. And um, that uh, mm. showed me that I could also paint and I could enjoy painting. By no stretch of imagination, I would call myself an accomplished artist, but I really express a lot. And I have, uh, you know, a decent amount of uh, experimentation that I do with my craft. Yes. So the NFT basically gave me, uh, it basically incentivized, you know, hmm. doing more of that. So that, that is a very strong thing. Right, right. But yeah, that's perfect. And also, yeah, with art, like, uh, you know, actually, if I think it's more beautiful when you're creating it for yourself, like even if like you don't seek any monetary benefit from it, like, that's when you're actually the most creative, I think. And correct, like, correct. Others, you have, you have like guidelines of, okay, the logo needs to be this shade and like this, uh, this dimensions and et cetera, et cetera, gets pushed on you. And then that's where the monetary element comes in as well. But then. That's true. Yeah. Right. So that is where a lot of, lot of the digital artists who, who were initially working only in the agency space, right? Mm. They Im- immediately jumped and saw massive success in the NFT space. Right, well, the right, reason right. why we see a lot of digital artists gaining prominence is because uh, agencies and all these other so-called creative outlets undervalued them to a point of, uh, to point of depression, so to think. Because they used to do all the work, right? prepare the the prepared i mean right from copywriters to people who used to make the graphics and the visuals and the editing and everything they saw a very small percentage of the profit so to say so for them this was a very strong push and they mm. initially were the last benefactors you know right. so it was very good that uh, they saw a lot of they saw a lot of uh, growth in this field or in this new uh, movement Right. I'd like to get like your point of view of like explaining to a layman like what NFTs are. Um, it's 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 really interesting, man. Like, um, say uh, I'll give you I'll give an example. Mm-hmm. So NFT is not one thing. 
just to tell people of what an NFT is. NFT is not one thing. You can start with that. Now let's get to a very, very ground level or very zero level thing of uh, proof. Say I drew a small picture. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and basically, we'll basically we will walk this concept up so that everybody go you know comes with us. So say mm. I I, I uh, took a picture or I drew drew a picture and I want to sell it to you. Yeah, I sold it to you for say ten dollars. Mm-hmm. Okay, and uh, uh, the other person say so basically I, I transferred the ownership to you and I took your money. So the transaction is complete. Mm-hmm. Now. Two days ago or two days later, another person who was interested and saw that picture with the other person comes to you and says, dude, I, sh- I could have given you $200 for it. Why did you sell for $10? This is not fair. And that guy, uh, you know, suddenly becomes, and this is just a hypothetical situation that that guy now thinks of it a bit greedily and says that, oh, yeah, I, this is a missed opportunity. I mm-hmm. should have sold for $200. And that guy says, no, no, this guy, you know, he cheated me, swindled me. He undervalued, undercut my proposition and, you know, uh, he didn't uh, uh, pay me the fair amount. So uh, I would like it back. Here, here's the $10. I'll give you $15. But now it's basically, there is no proof of ownership recorded for everyone to see is a problem in this transaction, right? right? This can also turn the other way that now the person who bought it for $10 immediately sells it for $200 to someone else. Mm-hmm. But the artist sees no profit in that transaction even right. though it is his creation that is creating the value for both of these or all three of these parties. Mm. Yeah. So the recording it uh, on, on something that is public and uh, also encrypted is what we call blockchain is beneficial for everybody, especially for the source, especially which is the artist in this case. So what we do is uh, we tokenize this. Well, what is token basically token is just uh, uh, just a record or uh, a token is just a vehicle that carries the ownership of this object from one person to the other and that records it on the blockchain. That's exactly what a token is. So uh, NFT is non-fungible token, which means you cannot exchange that for anything else but itself. So that is the layer one of, or the layer zero of NFT, that it basically uh, stores or, uh, you know, uh, records the transaction of any object or any amount of value only unique to itself on the blockchain. Now, the second layer would be, say I open a shop or I open mm. a club. Yeah. And I tell people that, okay, you can come into my shop and uh, whoever shops here, and this is something we all know, right? Like you go to a burger place, they give you a punch card or you go to Subway, they give you a punch card and and then you, you eat there 20 times, you get a free sub. Right. Mm. So that is basically them internalizing this whole uh, ecosystem. So the other way that NFTs can grant you is access, where it can be an access token that, okay, there's an event. If you hold this token Mm. or this NFT, you can come inside my, uh, inside my club or my apartment. The second is that if you hold this NFT, I will give you a discount. You know, if you hold this particular token, I'll give you a discount on every future transaction that you, that we Mm. go through. Another one is that if you hold this token, I will give you a certain amount of money. Like uh, this is akin to a club, say a poker club or or, or just, you know, a sports club. Mm-hmm. Where you go in and you you don't transact with real money, right? You transact with their tokens. Mm-hmm. So the NFT can also grant you access to this ecosystem where they will then give you tokens for which to play with or for which to buy something else with within the club. Right. So it becomes like a, a internal parallel economy, so to say. So... Uh, 
these are like uh, you know the gamified versions of what nfts can do some of the other things that nfts can do very well is uh, uh, going back to the first part like be a record of a transaction hmm. we can and this is going to happen in the future very like for sure that you like when i sell a house uh, you know it's going to be recorded on the blockchain on maybe a government government owned blockchain or a government controlled blockchain okay. which is which is already happening in india in a few places by the way they're already moving land records to blockchains mm-hmm. and uh, in in maharashtra one of the provinces in india they're also they've also been issuing diplomas right from government colleges on the blockchain and so right. all these things are already happening and so this is a, an indicator of what this particular nft will do you know mm. so uh, for sure the future is bright and we are just barely scratching the surface of possibilities right. as more and more people in ecosystems join this movement it's only going to grow yes yes yeah other applications i think would be like using it as identity like for ind- individuals that's that's difficult okay identity. so uh, identity so mm-hmm. using nft as an identity right right like a identity so, document okay so nft what they can enable what nfts can enable is a proof of identity on a particular platform but that's also not the right way to say it uh, because nfts can can enable the customization of your identity on the platform mm. so the whole premise of the blockchain is that you are your own sovereign what this means is you are the one who holds all the rights to your information no matter where you go which platform you choose that is enabled by something called a wallet mm. so a wallet is basically you know your address or 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 uh, uh just like a token has its own oh, so okay so let me just explain from zero again when when an nft originates it comes from a particular address yeah it's like okay. the home of the token and that token then becomes a store of all the information exchange or transactional information that that token has gone through from person a to person z like you know throughout its its history your mm-hmm. wallet is basically the same thing for you any transaction that you have done with any token any other wallet any other entity or a smart contract that lies on any other blockchain becomes your identity so when you buy an nft you are not customizing it on some platform or customizing your identity on some platform but your identity is defined by the wallet mm. you see so uh, an nft can cannot be a proof of identity but an nft can accessorize or enhance your identity because that is the whole premise the whole premise of this movement and and of what blockchain does that your your wallet is your identity right right got it and like do you see any other applications of it like in so for it, nfts or yeah, for like for the NFT, broader blockchain tech for, for nfts itself oh oh nfts are only going to explode like uh you know your cars something that i see is that all the cars are completely interconnected right mm. they are the like your tesla let's so basically tesla who is the uh, software owner right so uh, we see tesla as a car but tesla is not exactly a car company tesla is just a huge software and ai company that sells cars you see mm. and this is why there is a lot of value so what tesla can do is remotely they can push an update onto your car over the right. air right now 
what NFTs will will enable one one extremely uh, visible example is that say I want to purchase a pack, a software pack, right? Mm-hmm. Which is going to be like something uh, additional to what the car can do. I can buy that NFT pack, yeah, uh, or I can buy that that as an NFT pack, and then uh, uh, you know my car or my wallet's car, car's wallet gets enlisted on their database for this update. So now I will get those additional features that I bought. You see. Correct. So, I mean, this is just one visible example, but the same thing can be applied to any kind of other thing. Mm. I buy an app, right? And the, the app is now a, a Web3 enabled app, which is going to have a lot of features. But now I want to unlock a prime feature. So I buy an NFT to unlock a private space or a prime feature. Again, it goes back to the access part of it. So right. you can enable a lot with, with uh, you know, the token gating, basically. Yes, yes. It can be applied in uh, in healthcare. Oh, 100%. Mm. Healthcare is is an immensely huge thing because uh, for one, the only the only negative aspect is that health records should not be public. Or one thing that government should, should be very careful, or even private companies should be careful about, right. is that health records can never be made, be made public, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, that is one scare that they have. But uh, say now, say I, I buy an insurance plan as an NFT, right? And now I want to top it up. And I want to say that, okay, I, I have, say, $10,000 uh, or $20,000 as an insurance plan from this company, but I want another $20,000, you know, just to have a sort of a cushion in case of an emergency. So now I can have all of these purchases via an NFT. And since my wallet is interacting with uh, the blockchain, it's just going to top it up. And then there's a public record that I, I bought these plans. So, you know, for healthcare, this is a direct uh, implication in selling insurance, selling healthcare products, and you can definitely, uh, definitely achieve this. Yes, nice. Uh, transportation could be another one. Like I think it oh, disrupts sure. all industries. So I'll just name a few. You can probably give an example. You're doing a really good job. <laughs> oh man, I completely. <laughs> transportation is is something that's going to hit first. I, I assume. Because, uh, like I said, like a lot of uh, like India, one of the one of the things that they're doing is, like I mentioned, uh, moving a few of the of uh, the, you know the legacy industries or records on the blockchain. So mm. transport, what they can then do is, uh, okay, I'll give an example. But you know, one of the which there's something that the government did. So uh, uh, there was something provided to all the users in in Maharashtra, especially, was called the Universal Pass universal travel pass, right? Mm. Without which you could not buy a ticket uh, to travel on the public transport. Okay. The only prerequisite for the universal pass was that you should have been, uh, you would have been vaccinated twice. Okay. That was compulsory aspect to get a universal pass. Now, okay. how do you record that? Or how do you make sure that that is uh, always present to anybody who wants to see it? You issue a card that says that these guys have been uh, vaccinated twice. Correct. Mm-hmm. But now how do you make this this information immutable? So there is literally this information recorded on a government blockchain. So when you see anybody in India, especially Mumbai, who has a universal pass, and yep. you see uh, the details, there is an address, a QR code that scans, and an address given to the DMCC blockchain, the Maharashtra government central blockchain. Mm. So uh, this is already token gating access to the public transport. You see, already right. this is being done due to the pandemic. 
So mm. the easiest way to then enhance this would be buy a season pass or buy a, you know a yearly pass for for your for your whole transport route. You know, like right. you want to have the right. pass and this thing. Buy it as an NFT on mm. on the same blockchain. Mm. You know, like so since the, the infrastructure is already being used by our government or or one of the governments, it it just shows that it's a strong use case. Right, right. And another thing, I would uh, uh, just slipped my thought. I had like two thoughts, but uh, another application would be like uh, something that we worked on during during my university: a closed network blockchains. And like in the closed network, there could be a car manufacturing company, an insurance company, and the final consumer. And like all mm-hmm. of this, and they could have the registration, so the government as well. So like car manufacturing correct, company, correct. the government the insurance company and the individual user in a closed network blockchain and like just make the whole process of purchasing a car owning a car transferring a car and like probably disposing of Perfect. a car you're inside. right you're absolutely yeah. right mm. and that is something that the government like i said is doing for with the land registry so you right. see a car has a life cycle of what 15 years like mm-hmm. if, if it's a toyota maybe maybe 25 years and mm-hmm. that's basically a stretch to saying that the, the owner is maintained like you know toyota has right, involved right. Otherwise, 15 years is, is the maximum that uh, you would expect a car to, to perform. Mm-hmm. You know? And then otherwise, after that, you would either stop it or sell it off or give it to some very rural area who, again, might you know not use it properly. But land, land is perennial, right? Mm-hmm. Like records for ownership of this uh, or a particular parcel might go back 400 years, 500 years. Like right. as long as uh, in Britain, land records exist since, I don't know, 1100s, 1200s when the, the monarchy started establishing those records, right? So right. Um, this is something that can happen uh, or is happening. So when you mentioned that uh, it, it in, in the aspect of car ownership, I see that as a hundred, like a, a concrete possibility. Like mm. it, it definitely can be done. True, yeah. Uh, and like, have you given some thought about I'm not getting that term, but uh, basically composable money or uh, like uh, composable money of how. So, for example, uh, I work at I work at like a, a McDonald's and I'm getting paid. But the money uh-huh. that I can use, like I get paid for the week. So I get paid, say, $1,000 for a week. And then okay. like f- from there, I have to use 500 towards like g- groceries. Uh, say if I ba- buy a case of beers, if I go and attempt to buy a second case of beers, I'll be restricted from buying that. Okay. okay. Because it's so composed in such a way, right? Correct, 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 correct. Mm. You can, this is again, a very easily doable by use of this technology. Because now you know what has happened. And since you, since, so what would happen here is mm. that you would then create a smart contract for your wallet or for your spending, right? Mm. And that smart contract would only allow you uh, like sort of say, say like, like rationing. Uh, so previously when uh, in wartime or even in India, in many places where the resources were not uh, plenty, right? Mm-hmm. So they would be rationed off to all the consumers, to all the uh, stakeholders, so to say. Right. And what they will then do is, uh, depending on how much is allotted for one person, they would only get that much. Correct. So you can enable this via a smart, con- smart contract application 
Hmm. Although I would not, uh, I would never like to see that happen. <laughs> so like, so you know, I was bringing this up like because uh, I think European governments have been like, I'm not, I can't pinpoint like which government, but like, I think there's few Europeans and the EU itself is like talking about programmable money and the UK like, so yeah, the British are talking about programmable money. So yeah, that was the term I'm not looking for programmable money where they are like, they could, uh, monitor spendings like so if you're a say a single parent and your single mom or like they could like allocate extra resources towards this thing but at the same time they can restrict you from consuming or say there's like a or you're working for a vegan organization and then they can program money in a certain way and like they will restrict you from eating meat and like yeah, there's all sorts of like different aspects coming when basically decentralization is becoming centralization again like you know i i know where this is coming from this is mainly coming from the aspect of universal basic income so Mm. they were saying that if i'm ubi i'm going to give you say two thousand dollars a month to sustain i don't want you to spend that money on drugs you know or on alcohol like i want you to spend that money on something that we think is essential Mm. and uh, so this is basically coming from that aspect so I, i i am aware of this part of the programmable money aspect in terms of UPI, you know, universal basic income specifically. But I still think that it is, uh, no matter how uh, novel their intentions are or how good they are, I don't think this is the right path for them to take. Because I, I might be working in, say, like, like very uh, valid point, I might be working in a vegan company or in one of the, you know, the beyond uh, burgers or impossible burgers yes. kind of company. Mm-hmm. And someone else, someone might, might be, uh, you know, used to eating meat. And I should not be able to infringe upon their freedom of uh, buying whatever they want with their money. Mm. So uh, this is the reason why they've been mulling over it, but they're mulling over it, not in a broader sense, only in the sense of UBI. That if I'm giving you money as a government, you know, just for you to sustain yourself and just to exist without having a job or maybe paying taxes, then I want to monitor what you do. So it becomes a very close case scenario, which again, I would not recommend, but uh, yeah, I mean, it, it is paradoxical, right? Like you mm. said, yes, yes, the yes. whole concept of decentralization is being taken in the opposite direction. Yes. And now since you were speaking about that, like I had another thought, like say we go into this future with ubi and like with getting money i see like ubi is going on to secondary market and like having like lower value and like everything would be pegged probably to bitcoin and like you know we'd be like even the individual country ubis would be pegged against bitcoin because like if people are going to be restricted they might as well convert it into another currency which could which then would enable them to transact right. for certain sort of grocery items or whatever they want to okay. purchase. yeah so let me ask you this: How do you program? How do you program uh, something? The money aspect. How do you program an economy? Yeah, we are like, correct. So it's not just the money aspect, but also the spending aspect. Like how do how do you program that? The spending aspect. So you are so, saying like enabling course, them to spend towards uh, a certain. If I create, if I create money, and if I also want to enable, uh, understand how they spend, or track how they spend, or restrict eventually. Mm. then I have to create the whole ecosystem. So basically Correct. it becomes one whole uh, chain of thought. So mm. my, my my point that I wanted to push you or lead you towards is, is government's stablecoin. is basically CBDC, Central mm. Bank Digital Currency. Right. Unless, unless they issue their own sovereign CBDC, mm-hmm. they cannot do this. 
Right. So they cannot peg it against Bitcoin or any other currency for that matter that is subject to a lot of fluctuation and a lot of decentralization. Like ETH, I, I, I have incredible incredible faith in ETH and, mm. and to a large extent in Bitcoin as well because mm-hmm. it is truly decentralized. You see, uh, those steps that especially, uh, see Bitcoin now to attack the network is, is just ridiculously expensive. You, right. you just can't do that. You're right, and uh, it is is going in that direction. But the EIP, the improvement protocols that they have uh, recently enabled or sort of brought into existence, has made mm. sure that 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 attack is is no longer possible. Or if it is possible, it's going to take incredible amount of coordination and um, immense amount of money just right. to be able to attack and may, maybe try to take control. You know, before it goes to POS. So. Uh, these are heavily decentralized protocols that people themselves do never like to see Correct. any other person imposing any restriction on. So how mm. again do you do that? So you have to create your own CBDC. Right. Which is where now you see many of the governments going or going ahead mm. because they know that they cannot stop uh, the decentralization from happening. And that uh, that literally takes away all the power from them. Like I'll right. give you an example. If you want to spend some money, right? You go to the supermarket, correct? Mm-hmm. And uh, you, you're very, very probably going to use your card. So you're going to use Visa or MasterCard, right? Correct. And they are going to trans- going to process your transaction and then take a very small fee mm-hmm. from a, from both from both your banks, basically from the from your bank and from the merchant bank. So they're going to make money on both ends just to purchase, just to do the transaction. Correct. Now, if I create my own network that is going to do this in a decentralized way. It cuts away at all these uh, uh, established established routes of income for mm. these large companies, and so for also government. The like government is earning from all this, right? right. So if, if so, this is the, this is the main reason why all governments are completely afraid that these uh, decentralized currencies will take over, and uh, they will not have any recourse to collect tax or to even uh, understand how their money flows. Because see, governments are not afraid only of tax. That is one important part. But there's something called capital flight. Mm. And there's, there's something called uh, masking of capital. So mm. maybe it is used for nefarious purposes or, or even terrorist purposes. Correct. That money can flow freely without them being able to track it. And the whole FATF, uh, you know, the uh, financial action task force that the US set up, will not be able to monitor any of these things. And mm. sanctions will not work. And, you know, like, is, is this a whole interconnected web? So that is why them having their own digital currency that they can control from the source to distribution and subsequently to the use of is, mm. is essential for them to really contract this. Correct. Yeah. And I was reading upon the same topic as well. And like uh, there's one part, like one of the, they pointed out they could go in like either direction. So they can either choose to make their CBDC a wholesale currency or a retail currency where the retail aspects where it will come to the final consumer. Uh, and then that in that way, like there would be a problem with major established banks or smaller banks and everything in the banking system. But if they make it on the wholesale level where it is exchanged between the banking, like with, so say RBI would control it for, and it would be for interbank transactions among top banks for their daily settlements. Yeah, and then and correct, the, correct. and the economy would still operate on the current rupee system. So so not really correct. Correct. So it's 
So yeah. that's just uh, so see that so that is just replacing your fiat or your printed money hmm. with an actual actual uh, uh, digital asset. Yes. You know, like if you look at if you look at it, the money uh, how how does money flow right now? And do, I mean, do we know this? No, uh, it's just uh, electronically, it's, like it just. It, correct. So yeah. money right now flows the very same way, like actual physical money moves not very moving. rarely. Right. So it only moves for either uh, uh, huge cash transactions, which is really looked down upon, hmm. or it is it is going to move from bank to bank again for cash lending or cash reserve transactions. Right, and right, most right. of those reserves are still held by the RBI in their vaults. So hmm. either in form of XDR, which is basically uh, you know the the pact against the dollar, which which again goes back to the Bretton Woods system that we adopted it post Second World War, the whole world adopted yes. that when mm-hmm. they basically away from gold correct but india still has gold as well so we have gold we have uh, foreign reserves right. we basically hedge against all of these bets or all of not bets but all these fluctuations that yes. might come now all of this is not going to the, the logistics to move all of this is is ridiculous right like exactly. i'll give an example the one rupee coin costs more than one rupee to make yes. you see so uh, this is the funny aspect of of fiat so they are so all of this movement happens digitally anyway mm. now if they do it via blockchain is this going to be a new direction for them to take but is going to be heavily monitored mm. something that uh, maybe these banks will not like and yeah. since the country needs a lot of banks to uh, work and they can't just up and say that okay you know you this bank you can go you can go die or you can just stop doing business they cannot do exactly, that right exactly. so that's why they have to they have to take all these guys and move up so even if it is a wholesale based uh, uh, system it's going to work slightly on the principles of upi like the indian upi yes, yes. which is which is it's an incredible network really you know frankly it's an amazing network one of the yes. best innovations of the past few years that the government has really put in place so uh, it is basically going to be modeled on that very exactly. closely. Yep. Yep. Just that it's going to have a blockchain interface to it. Hmm. Yeah. It'd be hard to see like how yeah, governments are going to cope up and like come up with different strategies. I think like, yeah, with a big economy like India, it would be like, yeah, moving towards more of the wholesale side and like smaller economies could experiment with retail. But yeah, it's, let's see how all this is going to play out. Yeah, so if, if there is a direct distribution of, uh, if there's a very direct distribution of uh, subsidy, right, mm-hmm. from the central government to the other person, then re- then the retail. retail aspect of the central government going in is enabled. But in any large economy, you have to move with the market players, right? And you yeah. have to make an inclusive system. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, if, if there is a small grievance, I can't go to the central bank and say that, you know, this has happened. Like, then yes. they will have to deal with a billion requests. And that is not feasible for them. So it's always better to adopt a hybrid model. Yes, yes, yes. True. Uh, so, like, how do you keep yourself like informed about all these aspects, like of crypto and like everything? Like, oh man, it's it's it, the the pace at which this moves is ridiculous. Hmm. It is insane. So the first thing that I would suggest, uh, I mean, okay, so what I do is basically, uh, I understand the technology very well. I mean, I when I say I understand, it's not that I just understand shit. I just basically try to read as much as I can. 
to see a lot of videos because there is also excellent video content by amazing people and just you know get the information so information works in pyramids right or if you have if you re- read this blog uh, which is basically weighed by one, it's an incredible blog which i recommend anybody to read like it's sorry incredible. I, you broke up so on that so that guy uh, he, what sorry. he says uh, i'm sorry can you please repeat it no as like yeah you broke up like while you were saying the blog's name itself oh sorry so the blog's name is wait but why okay. wait but why okay so yeah wait but why i highly recommend everybody to read that it it's a bit long form but the guy is incredible incredible the way he formulates his uh, blogs and information exchanges amazing so how he describes information or or knowledge to be built is basically a tree trunk and branches and then leaves you mm. see so unless you understand the underlying do you unless you form the tree trunk of your knowledge you mm. cannot then branch out into different streams so the underlying aspect should be extremely clear like right. what can tech enable what can it do what is this or what is the principle of this particular mm. uh, technology yeah and then all these branches can shoot out so what i try to do is uh, i try to first understand if there is a change in the basic network so if you look at a lot of blockchains there are three things or there are two main things right so there's mm. proof of work and proof of stake uh, right. there are a few other blockchains that have come up with a hybrid uh, this thing mm-hmm. uh, if you really look it up which is not very uh, not very difficult to understand but it's a bit unique so there yes. are other hybrid models yes and then there's consensus Correct. which is the main thing it's, it's how does how do the uh, validators and operators uh, agree upon whether this block has been finalized so mm. these are the only things that change other than that everything every every other aspect is just a incremental change like the transaction speed transaction finality and all those things oh. that's that's really it correct so uh, what i then do is look at what uh, this new technology is going to enable what this new technology is going to do Mm. and how uh, different it is once i know that then the other aspect is uh, the market aspect so like i have about 7000 uh, followers uh, on twitter right and uh, i'm highly engaged with almost all of them because uh, i i don't go for like you know a large number of people but i go for like how can i talk to important people or uh, when i say important i just mean like who i think are doing different and new stuff you know so mm. i i keep myself abreast by looking at what they're doing and then it is like again branching out so it's not that i had to do all the reading myself but then i also uh you know mooch off of their studies what they're reading and what what then then that discussion ensues and you learn more Correct. so that, that's how i keep it nice yeah yeah you mentioned about something like looking at it at like the roots level yeah like and i think it reminds me of like what i try to do as well like look at things from the first principles aspect and that's like i feel like an excellent approach to like work on any Your first principles to... never fails so yes. it might be difficult to do that in in fact it is difficult in, in yes. many cases and in many examples but first principles will never fail you hmm. and that understanding i think is extremely important and many people miss it so i think True. it's it's important to understand that first yes yeah so like and because we always like tend to like look at 
situations or experiences like from a, I mean everything from a previous experience point of view but instead of like actually like trying to identify like a vice or certain thing is happening or like just in life in general right and like if you go back to the root like you'll come to, you'll actually be able to get the right answer for what you're looking for that's right i'm so sorry i'm just eating a little bit it's nearly 2 p.m and you know this past lunch time <laughs> yeah yeah you're all right yeah yeah so but, but you're right that's how it should be because once you do that then uh, you're able to grasp uh, any new information or development very quickly you know mm. that is the right way to go i would really recommend anybody listening to go for that i'll just coming back to like some of your nft projects uh, like what firstly like that the 3d poetry project is something unique and like yeah i feel like that's pretty cool and i see like people yeah that's and like you making a metaverse for like as display will show like how other how it can be applied like to other people's collections as well like you know in the metaverse like have a 3d display of some poetry that's pretty cool how did you like come Thanks, about man. like yeah how did you come about like with that concept and like making it so again it's like uh, uh, so uh, i I've, i've been with many projects in uh, the nft space especially poetry projects mm. and i've worked pretty hard to establish myself as an important member of the community by giving back as much as i can and by contributing via any kind of innovative approach that i can one of the things that i saw or my vision was to just you know not have words or poetry on the page i was just you know completely uh, bored by the by the same representation of any poetry or any poetic expression on on the page mm. so it's all it's 2d right and even if it is 3d there's it's 3d on the same plane so it's just mimicking your page right and i'm like yes. why don't i make this dynamic why don't i turn this into a sculpture so that you have to interact with it it becomes playful and the geometry also contributes to the poetic meaning mm. so i started making these poetic monuments and started experimenting and you know it was really good that uh, a few of my my like one of my biggest collectors was the was one of the guys who supported me with this very boldly and people also uh, you know they helped me they they liked it and they collected it it's been a it's been cold for the past few months you know no sales and all but that's just how the market works but True. otherwise yeah i mean i love uh, this idea and i'm going to keep creating more it's just going to happen right now like i said you know busy building a lot of things in the background so there's yep. no real time for myself to experiment or to create more at yep. least in the short term yes you yeah speaking about the market like what, what is your like take on like especially the nft space in terms of individual artists and like putting out projects like i like in my opinion like i feel like there's too many there's like there's more makers and less like buyers like you know there's more people creating and less buyers at the moment and i feel like there's like an onboarding aspect that has to happen where there's like more oh and at the same time like if everyone is creating and buying like that's uh, perfectly fine as well that works perfectly fine but at, for some reason i feel like there's more creating and then there's less buyers in the market this is a very interesting point that you bring up because you we should look at tezos tezos is uh, the whole ecosystem is is primarily pushed by art and by artists so okay. we 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 sell something we collect something we sell something so the circular economy works well 
Mm. But then the circular economy will not push the prices very high. You yes. see, so if I sold something for two tests, I'm not, I'm not probably probably not going to spend the whole two tests. I'm going to spend one test yes. on something and then you know keep keep putting the circular economy back. So mm. the, it always depreciates unless there's a big collector who can buy and then uh, yeah, up, uh, when the value appreciates, sell it, which is a different aspect. But then some big collector who can really put or back these artists. Okay, right, so right. that is one aspect. When you come to eat, the pro the 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 whole ecosystem was was really sort of enamored by incredible artists. But then when projects took off, the greed in the whole system when people saw that they could uh, make money off this as an asset class, like multitudes mm. of uh, millions, and uh, you know what they can do with that kind of money, uh, they they really you know sort of uh, just just one moment. Yeah, sure. So uh, what they did was they saw that they could make a ton of money and they started buying up these projects, tens and mm. hundreds and twenties. Artists themselves who made some sales started buying these projects. Correct. See, so on test, they never did this because the ecosystem was different. But on ETH, I saw artists who sold a lot of, lot of work. They, they started buying these projects, PFP projects, and trying, trying to flip them. Mm. And I, I spoke to a few of them, right? Because I, I'm really engrossed with a lot of lot of these people, uh, mm. like, you know, uh, why this happening. And they said that it's easier for me to sell a PFP in the market the, the, with the velocity that it moves than to sell my own art. And that mm. is a sad aspect. Because what this means is that the number of people supporting art in the whole ETH ecosystem or in the broader ecosystem or the largest ecosystem so far is less than the number of people who have come in for a short-term profit. You see, so yes. this basically causes the ecosystem to to uh, sort of fizzle out and die. And that's what's happened because most of the people who ran these projects, right, they were generally, and you might, might be surprising, but uh, just one team or one person basically ran 60 or 70% of the PFP projects in, in whole of the space, in the whole each space. I'm not even lying about this. So all this capital that they amassed has been mm. locked away. Correct. So yep. now we are looking at thousands or tens of thousands of feet locked in these DAOs and these ecosystems that should have been circulating for artists and the artist economy. Hmm. So there are multiple ways when where the capital flow has dried up, you know, and right, there is right, no right, right. recourse for artists. You see, so it's not exactly a very simple problem or simple solution, but it's it's multifaceted. But it has to do with the human aspect of getting quick returns and making more money. Hmm. Yep, true. Yeah, there was, I mean, uh, I personally, I know a lot of people who are like in the, into the NFT space, just especially the, on the Ethereum network, just to, from the, uh, from an investment or from a trading perspective and like not from a collection perspective. And I see myself like doing the same as well, especially on like Ethereum. Uh, because I, like I've not mentioned, but yeah, previously I was working with a crypto research company and like, so basically, we would direct people in the same, I mean, we would yeah, point people in the same direction of doing like transactions or trading in NFTs or trading or just like pointing out like what potential DeFi project is going to blow up and stuff like that. That's cool, man. That's actually yeah. very cool. See, yeah. So if you're going to look at it from, from an asset perspective, mm. then it has outperformed every asset class in the past one year. Exactly. Like by by multitudes, ridiculous amounts. Mm -hmm. So 
from that perspective when you tell people to buy and invest in flip it's 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 good right now did you look at the the percentage uh, see because everything follows normal distribution especially mm-hmm. in large numbers did you notice the significance of how many people actually made like the wins so even in stock market there there is the uh, a win percentage right correct where one strategy or one other class has a win percentage the win percentage for people making ridiculous multitudes off of nfts is very low true you see and uh, uh, like the even pfp projects like few people have won very few have won big and even lesser have won all the time mm. you know what i mean so uh, this this thing again the thing is that this whole uh, I, i'm not saying right or wrong i'm not casting any judgment or anything it's just mm. my observed opinion Exactly. that uh, that is what is driving these prices to to ridiculous speculative bubbles mm. and that's literally what's going to cause them to be completely completely valueless close to zero in in the next one year yeah. most of them not all of them true. not all of them true lots of lots of things popping up in crypto are going to fade out like in a year or two like not just in the nft space like also i feel like in defi and like dex and all other aspects So here is again one thing. So it's very good point that you made. Define index, right? Mm. Uh, if if your product is built on a real world uh, solution, if you're filling a gap mm. and you're providing a service, your product is never going to fizzle out. Never ever. No, like the, if you look at uh, the, the uh, thing is, curve and all the liquidity liquidity pools, or mm. even Uniswap. Uniswap is only growing. It's only going to grow. So are you filling a product, or are you just making your token? to make money off of and then creating a liquidity pool and then whenever you want to take money out you just dry the pool and then leave people hanging True. this is also happening yes. so those things are going to happen for sure like that way it's only going to go south and also like if there's going to be more of more uni swaps like you know more mimicking of the same product that's already solving a solution and like those guys are going to die off like you know because there are multiple of course of course yeah, yeah you're, so, right, you're right so there'll if, be if like obviously like, few key, key players like that like say for example there's like uber ola and like another one and blah 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 there'll be few key players and like all the other competitors like yeah, they're going to fizzle out and hope hopefully there's like more you're competition right, right. yeah and more competition and less monopoly in the same in this field so well. if you look at uh, i'll give you an example if you look at um, have you do you know about cosmos yeah i know about cosmos yeah so cosmos is a fantastic ecosystem that they built right, right. it's a standalone ibc yes internet of blockchains and uh, what cosmos enabled was the terra ecosystem to be built on mm. cosmos yeah and terra now is valued way higher than cosmos is which is like so and antithetical so funny yes. yes so terra was built on cosmos but is valued way more than the cosmos ecosystem itself because mm-hmm. what terra did was built a lot of uh, missing points that other infrastructures did not have like right. they have their own terra usd yes they have their own stable they have yes. their own uh, ibc which is built on this thing but by by uh, sort of uh, propelled by terra by the luna coin yes so again the point is that it, these people are fairly new they are they're completely recent and they could still plug the gap and build this correct correct yes so, when you build a important protocol that's going to solve a real problem you're always going to win there is no way that uh, you're going to lose because you're doing something unique and yes, something yes. important mm. so if you're just going to copy maybe you have some short term yes. users but you're going to fizzle out true
and like so dg now how much time do you spend like dedicated in the crypto scene like and what do you do like outside of crypto like, you know in like in a week or in a on a daily on yeah a daily. man it's 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 a bit <laughs> crazy like mm. right now i'm just uh, i'm not spending a lot of time on crypto mm. but only a few hours a day and other than that i mean i have a day job because okay. i haven't really been able to make a lot of money in crypto right now yeah but yeah i mean that's that's what it is i have a yeah. job i have to do my job which is a standard 9 to 6 that you know you keep doing your job and keep your head yeah. down and uh, whatever whatever free time i get so i i basically also uh, i i am an amateur triathlete oh okay. i haven't done anything in the past 2 years because of lockdown and a lot of other things yeah but i'm just getting back to it now so whatever time is left outside of training <laughs> Oh, sort of personal yeah. life, like you know, I have to. You have to give time at home as well for, for your family. Yes. So whatever is left outside of this is completely like dedicated to crypto, mm. NFT, <clears throat> building my own brand, uh, reaching out, creating products, and you know, giving giving any kind of advice. Right, right, right. And when you say you're like a triathlete, so it's running, swimming, and cycling. That's right. Okay, and. Uh, like so what would be like if you if you were to compete like say in a smallest amount like on whatever you'd compete in how, how many like kilometers running swimming and cycling like how, how like what's the minimum or See, maximum so average? australia is one of the one of the leading countries when it comes to triathlon the mm. triathlon culture in australia is incredible so uh, where do you live right now i'm in melbourne Melbourne, right? So Melbourne yeah. has a club. Sydney has a club. These have they, these are the incredible clubs, triathlon okay. clubs. Okay. So uh, this the smallest is something called the super sprint. Okay. So you have sprint, super sprints. So sprint would be something between three hundred, five hundred meters of swimming, about nineteen uh, or twenty kilometers of cycling, and okay. just five kilometers of running. Okay. Something something like that. Yeah. So super yeah. sprints somewhere around the same. This thing, you know, we can have the very similar thing. Okay. These are the smallest quantums of the sport. Right. and then a very respectable size is the olympic which is 1.5 km swimming 40 km cycling and 10 km running mm. then there is a middle distance which is this the half ironman that is 1.9 swimming uh, 90 km cycling and 21.1 half marathon running and then you have uh, the full ironman the full iron distance which is uh, your uh, uh, you know 3.8 km of swimming uh, 180 km of cycling and 42.2 km of running So I wow. I am I'm a middle distance guy. Like uh, I've competed in half iron man. And oh wow! Personally, done a few Olympic and uh, half iron just to practice. But I've yes. only competed in one half iron man myself. Right, right, right. Don't mind me asking. Like, how old are you? <clears throat> I I am not too old. <laughs> I'm about. I'm in the mid thirties. Okay, yeah, I'm thirty myself. So just like yeah, just asking. Uh, yeah, no, no. It's it's just that I I have a like it's just that I've maintained a pseudonym sort of brand, you know. So I try to keep it around that. That's why. Yeah, yeah. Sure, I'm not sure. being secret. Yeah, yeah. Sure, understood. I mean, I I wish to do that myself. Like that's why I like I'm like like low, really low key on social media and stuff like that. Even though like my the podcast itself has my name, but like I like yeah, having a low aspect, especially I'm just like probably trying to. Yeah, probably trying to eventually have like something going on like as a, a second, uh, uh, I mean, social version of myself, <laughs> I guess, or maybe yeah, 
but yeah especially like I totally yeah coming in the crypto scene and like yeah you have to be anonymous in like many aspects see again this goes back to 2014 mm. when i was deep you know neck deep in the dogecoin scene and of uh, many things that we learned like even then we had tons of scams right and i i got scammed out of some of my dogecoin back then as well yeah yeah because it happens on p2p of course so yeah. uh, i learned a lot of uh, important lessons on how to maintain your identity parallel identities and how to keep uh, sort of hygiene you know like the media hygiene how it is important for you to keep those two very separate so that you can function very well in both the spheres mm. you see so that's why i try to bring that lesson even now so like uh, what tips you could give to someone like who's like trying to do some, something on those lines the most important thing is understand that you're building a brand you are not here to showcase who you are in real life very few people would be interested in in your problems or your challenges because everybody has challenges right everyone is facing a ton of uh, stuff in their own lives mm. when you build close relationships then you may approach them or you may bring them closer to your circle and then tell them about who you really are mm. but otherwise keep it very broad second never dox yourself never share uh, like your your car number plate like you know car or bike number plate mm. or your your full face unless you really want to show that you know right. or uh, something that's going to distinguish you in a way that is going to give out your location because mm. you don't know who's looking you don't know always keep and this is not this is not something uh, that you want to hide it's not about hiding again it goes back to the same hygiene factor that there could be unscrupulous people who right. might be scraping information or building right. information banks so to keep a very low profile and mm. uh you need to understand like again you're building a brand a lot of people who a lot of famous people right who we see on social media have millions of followers mm. it's their brand who they are in real life you see right, right, right. so if you even want to use it make sure that you're using your brand you know you are not there to talk about your uh, uh your real life because that's what family and friends are for Mm. and if you do that on the internet you don't know who's listening and who might use it against you and never ever share any critical information that is linked to any of your real life uh, accounts or you know any any uh, like your geographical place your bank True. account or anything never share anything like that yes these yes. are like big no nos but those yes. are like standard no nos you know it is actually become the norm now yes so i yes. would suggest that anybody who who wants to look at that make sure first thing just it's your brand even though it's your face and your name that's the brand that you're building don't don't uh, share your full person on on social media mm yes i mean yeah like uh, some aspects of social media have gone to like the next point like yeah, people are like basically their entire lives on social media like what they're eating what they're drinking what time they sleep what they do during the day and everything like yeah that's another Again, aspect Again if it's yeah. your brand if it's mm. your brand and if you know what you're putting out do it But yes. if it's your personal life that you that that's not contributing to any of your social media, you're just doing for points. Mm. Then you're making a mistake, basically. You know, you're giving away too much information. Correct. That other either either people don't care, 
or if someone is listening they might use it for some other means you know so you yeah. might not like it it might be harmless right mm. it's someone building a product and this they're just using how many people uh, like you know it, you might have an instagram for food mm. just 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 joke like you know like yeah, yeah. you want to share pictures someone could basically be using your information on from public sources to mm. do that correct so it's just like you know uh, try not to give as, as much information as possible yes totally agree totally agree uh getting back to your training for your triathlon like how much time do you dedicate towards that like in like is it a daily thing or like in a week so right now what i'm um, right now like i said i i've been out of it for a very long time okay so i'm just building my aerobic base mhm so right now what i'm doing is i'm doing nothing but making sure that my heart rate doesn't go beyond a certain level when i'm okay. doing my runs okay. that's it runs are basic exercises let's building the aerobic base so okay. i'm building my oxygen uptake which means for the same amount of effort my heart rate should be lower right with right. every passing week or month okay it's not very immediate but it takes time okay so uh, once you build the aerobic base you have to start doing hrt high intensity mm, and then okay. that uh, again helps you heart rate and increase your oxygen uptake okay all of these things aside when you want to train for triathlon you have to train at least 5 to 6 days a week so you're mm. looking at anything between uh, 6 to 6 uh, is less but you're looking at 8 to 10 hours of training per week which is an like approximate like 2 like hours 2 hours probably half an hour and half an hour in each sport, like half an hour for running half an hour swimming half an hour biking no 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 no, no, no. so you you break it up so if you are a pro then you do this like per day you do practically two to three sports okay Correct. but we have a job right like right, we right. we have a, we have a whole social life hmm. and we have a professional life as well so then what you do is you break it down into one run so you have run swim run bike run okay like hmm. you do one break session which is bike and run and then you have swim run swim run and then we have one very long bike session which is going to be two two and a half to three hours on a okay. weekend like you know long aerobic bike bike is the best thing that's going to build your aerobic base aerobic base okay. so uh, you do this and that three hour comes from the bike rest everything okay. if you add even 45 minutes to one hour each day you're going to have easily going to have eight hours per week you see mm. so six to 10 hours what you're looking at by breaking up your week into productive segments and then you also have to include yoga mobility and stretching in those hours of course so okay. intense hours are less like generally when you what whenever you're doing for for any endurance based event right make sure that no more than 20% of your week is intense you mm. cannot have more than 20% of your week at an intense load right because right, that's right. going to be counterproductive you're going to lose a lot of muscle mass you're going to injure your heart uh, see that injury is not immediate you know and even a muscle injury is not immediate but mm. you're making yourself more prone these issues and injuries so you have to it's a it's a it's a it's a really it's a lot of science to be honest but once you start doing it it becomes apparent and you learn very fast nice i want to ask like few more questions on this topic itself like firstly like how do you like so when you're talking about your heart was it aero, aerobic base is it is that right I'm sorry can you repeat the last part uh yeah what was that aerobic base yeah but am i saying that right like is that the same term you used yeah yeah aerobic so it's, base it's a general catch all term yeah okay base. so I, yeah basically base training uh, so you want so from my understanding would be like you want your heart rate 
at a consistent pace that would be a lower pace and you would want more output from that like you're running a longer distance yeah i'll give you an example so do you do you measure your heart rate when you run uh, firstly i don't run i don't like running so i i, I really want to force myself like to get into running or like i've been like trying to but like yeah i've been trained like yeah, i like i train jiu jitsu and like i like work out but i find it hard to run i swim but i don't know for some reason i find it hard that's, to run that's okay that's awesome so you swim right yeah so uh, have you measured your heart rate when you swimming no i haven't lately i haven't but i should yeah i mean i have before but like i could monitor it and like yeah go ahead sorry so no no it's okay so the reason why i'm saying this is uh, how do you measure it if you don't know what your performance is right mm. so the uh, for elite athletes the standard formula is 90% of 220 minus your age okay that's the maximum your heart can go mm. okay so yeah. uh, say say we are 35 years old mm. so 90% of 220 is how much that's about uh, 22 200 200 minus uh, 35 so 165. considering 35 Yeah. So that's that's going to be 165. So 165 mm. is the maximum uh, heart rate where you're going to be productive. Okay. So uh, that's what they say that you cannot should not go beyond that. But if mm. you look at extremely high intensity athletes, they can their their peak heart rate will reach up to 200 because their body can take it. Okay. But they are for very short bursts. Okay. Yes. So what then is a productive what then is a productive uh, uh, region? there are many different ways to do this there's a mapadon method and there are many other methods mm. that uh, are that have gone into real scientific study but then you have to basically look at uh, what is the heart rate which is what is the uh, rate of lo- exercise the load that is very easy for you when i say easy i mean if you're running you should be able to talk okay that's that's called a conversational pace so there your heart rate is automatically going to be low because you're able to talk you know your mm. lungs are not uh, your lungs are not pumping continuously Correct. your heart is not pumping very hard okay so when you're swimming it just means that you should be able to swim for hours you see so uh, it just means that you should be able to maintain a very comfortable pace for a very long time without okay. having any issues hmm. so swimming generally will have a lower heart rate as compared to running hmm. for the same duration because uh, it there is no impact right Uh, mm. But if you swim very hard, then again your heart rate spikes. Okay. So it becomes usually what I mean. It becomes subjective. Like I don't know right, right, right. how your body performs. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, but uh, but body performing. But but what I was trying to get to is like uh, what I said was right initially, right? Like you want a lower your heart beating at You're a lower right. rate, Absolutely. and 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 you want to run a longer distance, and but like uh. how do you so you keep track of this and like how do you improve it like by keeping track like you monitor it and then so so there are two ways to keep track first uh, is your your data mm. you need a lot of data points so when you buy a good sports watch it will tell you your tss score your epoc score so basically how hard you are training or what is your depending on your fitness and right. your weight okay and what, what uh, do you use personally point? sorry what do you use i was I use Sunto, okay. so I believe it was one of the best products on the market, and I I believe that only. I mean, this is again it's a personal view. Yeah, of course, of course. So I use like, I add like an any. There's lots of competition in this space as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. of course, of course. Yeah. So I use that over Garmin, okay. and I 
I always advocate that. That's again just a personal choice. Of course. So um, I I have that watch, uh, and and I I basically look at my training, whatever I've done over the weeks or months. I look at every run, and I have a mental baseline again because I've been doing it for so long. I know hmm. uh, what my standard thing is. So when I was very fit, I used to run five minutes per kilometer with uh, my average heart rate being about one fifties, okay. uh, which was like the productive zone. so which means that i could do that at a very comfortable breathing uh, breathing pattern so here there are two aspects one is the data and second is the feel how do you feel when you're running can you breathe mm. easily can you talk mm-hmm. can you smile like, is there fatigue is there strain and then how, the feeling is 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 in two ways is in your cardiovascular like how how you're feeling when you're breathing and pushing mm. and how your, how your muscles feeling are they fine are they paining are they sore So right, right, right. again, these things just like come when you start doing these activities a lot. Like you have to listen to your body. Yep, true. And, and like another aspect I wanted to get from uh, this is like how, like what sort of diet you maintain? So, uh, so I I'm a vegetarian, but that's okay. again a personal choice. Yes. It is not uh, that diet has no no heavy bearing on this thing. Okay. So. whatever you do whatever you eat just make sure that your calories are sufficient and slightly uh like if you're on the higher side then you should cut your calories and uh, if you start increasing your load right your workload hmm. so you should be eating just as much as you are to maintain your physical shape but enhance hmm. your protein to 25 grams a day make sure that you at least eat 25 grams of protein which okay. means that if you're eating a steak the what is the protein density Or mm. if you're eating a uh, soy, or if you're eating uh, cheese or cottage cheese, what's the protein density? Make sure that you get enough protein mm. because muscle breakdown in endurance sports is a real thing, and yes. that's why I'm saying that you know not more than twenty percent intensity at all. Correct. You have to rebuild. Totally it's it's, it's, a, it's a long term thing. Yes. You know, like if, but if you do it well, you're going to be fit for like thirty, forty more years because you've built the base very well. Mm. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I didn't know this aspect of you of being a triathlon. Yeah, like I have like. I it's okay. That that's the whole point. Like I don't. I yeah, don't that's exactly it. true. Exactly. And yeah, but like yeah, good to ask these questions. And like I'm looking forward like for more conversations on this aspect as well. And yeah, if you're, are you going to? Are you like thinking of like competing anytime in the future or? Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Oh okay. no 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 no! Not even remotely done with it. I just I had a bike. I sold that bike because it was it was a proper racing bike, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, it, it was a race uh, space constraint for me. And I just so, uh, sold it off yeah, because right, I right, knew right. that for two to three years I was not going to compete. So now that uh, you know I've uh, taken a break, I'm I'm just building it up. Once I'm comfortable enough, I'll I'll definitely enroll into uh, in a competition, and I'm not no way close to them. Yeah. Like I used to hike a lot. Hmm. and i i i used to hike high altitudes regularly but okay. since uh, 2018 december i have not even been able to hike that much and i'm talking about 5 6 day huge treks that we go to like 15000 feet uh, yep. 18000 feet yep yep so like really intense stuff you know yeah yeah, yeah. i just that it's just a change of pace in life and you have to first concentrate on your life yeah true true totally agree but yeah Yeah, looking forward to like yeah speaking to you again, especially on this aspect, and like obviously get more like yeah see more about the crypto aspect as well. 
thanks dg for oh, sure yeah, man anytime thanks thanks for making the time uh yeah and hey, no problem man thank yeah, you for surely, your time yeah 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 and surely reach out like let's do this again in the future for sure man for sure definitely okay lovely speak to you talk soon likewise man likewise cheers bye bye thanks guys for tuning in see you in the next one